Well, good morning, everybody. I know we say it every week that we truly appreciate our worship team, but man, I, I really appreciate each one of you. By the way, it's Chandler's birthday. Soon to be a bride, right, Bryce? The day can't come soon enough, I'm sure. All right. Well, listen, um, good morning. It's good to see you all. Yeah, thank you for that happy greeting. Um, this morning, we're going to continue on in the book of Exodus. If you're visiting with us, we've been through an over 30-week series in the book of Exodus, and it's been a journey, hasn't it? And uh, what I've loved about the book of Exodus is that it, the deeper that you get into it, the more that you see. And I think that's true of the entire Bible. The, the, the more that you get into it, the more that you open your hearts to what God wants to say to you, there's plenty there. And so there's certainly plenty there today in Exodus 32. It's the story of the golden calf. Everybody familiar with that one? I would say if you have Exodus in your mind, you, you have certain things about Exodus that are like if there was like a top 10 list of stuff going on in Exodus, the golden calf would make the list for sure, right? And there's other stuff in there that you probably didn't know that would, you know, you would ever come into contact or encounter, you know, like what, you know, what to do if an ox gores you or something like that or gores your neighbor. That wouldn't be on the top 10 list, right? Am I, are you with me? Are you okay? Am I okay? Are we okay? All right, good, good, good. Anyways, um, we're going to get into it this morning. And um, I have to tell you, I, I've spent a lot of time this week reading through chapter 32 over and over and over again. And, and I would encourage you, when you're studying scripture on your own, um, that there's, there's ways that you can read the Bible. Um, there's, there's one way that you can like, read the Bible for mileage, right? That you, you get as much in as you can, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Like to continue to, to let it um, just wash over your mind. Uh, I highly encourage the use of like a Bible app that reads to you. Um, sometimes our eyes get tired of, of reading, and it's really nice to just have the Word of God read over you. There's something about the public reading of Scripture that we're not meant to neglect, and so something about it, reading it out loud, is really is really powerful. And so, if you don't have that on your phone, I would encourage you to do that. But all that to say, um, there are times when you can just take one passage or one portion of Scripture, and you read it once, and you don't see much, and then you read it again, you see a little more, and you read it again, you see a little more, and you could keep reading it and find more, and you can mine the Word of God and find pure gold. And so I hope that this morning, what we can accomplish uh, in, a, in a lot of, of scripture, I don't know how far we're going to get, uh, fair warning, I'm going to do my best to get through the chapter. I, I, don't, I don't know that that's going to happen today, but what I'd like to do is just break it up um, section by section, make some observations, and uh, give you some applications. So um, if that doesn't sound good to you, now would be the time to fake a coughing attack, and you can just sort of slip out any one of the exits or whatever else. So, All right. Um, the series is called The Way Forward, and, um, and, and one of the things that you learn in this lesson, I, I titled it, uh, that's a long title, I don't know if this is going to be the official title or not, but these are, are lessons in leadership, God's character, and human nature. So this chapter teaches us lessons in leadership, um, it teaches us about the character of God, and it teaches us about human nature. In fact, the whole Bible, especially the Old Testament, is, is good for, for those three things, um, but, but one of the things that, uh, as I was praying before the service, you know, I was just spending time going, God, what's, what's the landing point for this message? And the, the result of, of uh, Exodus 32 and the constructing or the crafting of this golden calf um, came as, uh, as a, it was a problem, clearly. Um, but, but it came because there was a, a false urgency that was placed upon Aaron. Okay, do you know what a false urgency is? 
is something that we work up, right? Or, or you could put it this way, that there are false urgencies or there are others' emergencies, right? Have you ever um, experienced that where somebody else's emergency gets handed to you and that's now what? Your emergency? Uh, I think it happens a lot in parenting, you know, like, mom, come pick me up right now, you know, wherever it is, like you have to run and do that. Or where's the peanut butter, you know, um, wh- whatever the thing is, it's like, I, I got to have that right now. In, in our house, there, um, there's like the males in our house are blinded to, to many things. And, uh, and, and so w- when we're looking for something, there is definitely a sense of urgency about especially food items. And it's because, you know, we think there's a shortage in the food chain, in the, you know, in the, in whatever that thing's called, the food chain, I was going to say, but the supply chain is what I mean. You know, so, so it's like you, you want to make sure that the stuff you need is there. And so if you don't see it right out of the gate, um, I don't ever do this, but there's another male in the house that goes, Mom! You know? And, um, and Rochelle comes running in, yes, dear? No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no. Um, and, and there's like a sense of blindedness to the fact that all you had to do was, you know, maybe move the, the, the bag of carrots or something that you wouldn't normally eat. Like you move that out of the way and guess what's right there? Whatever you're looking for. And, and so, but the point is this, that when you have a sense of emergency or urgency, it really affects the way that you make decisions, right? Um, if it's a true sense of urgency or emergency, your body kicks into a certain kind of gear that, that where that fight or flight stuff comes from that on, honestly, sometimes it like really targets you in and gives you an ability to make a good decision quickly. But when it's a false emergency, your um, decision can be really skewed. It can really mess things up. Have you ever thought of that in your own life? Or do you have any experiences that you can think of off the top of your head where you made a rash decision? You know, this rash is, and, and at least in my life, I won't give any examples, but sometimes it comes with purchases, you know, uh, 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 something that you know you need. I remember one time we were, we were driving in, and uh, we, were, we were making our way. We do these trips every once in a while that we, we don't really have a plan. We're kind of like flying by the seat of our pants. And I remember like we, we needed to find a hotel and we were going to stay in San Francisco. This was a while back. And I remember looking online and it was like, book now. There's only like, like a half a room left. You know what I mean? Like wh- whatever it was, was like, ah. and I remember like, ah, like we got to get it right now. And my wife's so calm. And she was like, that's probably not true. It's probably not real. It's probably a false urgency that was put upon you, right? So you don't, you put up with whatever you get. So this is our examples. I could give others of purchases and things that we make, but these rash decisions um, can sometimes take us pretty far, pretty fast. And that was the case for the children of Israel. You want to talk about a rash decision? And so I'm going to give you the big picture of uh, Exodus chapter 32. Um, Many of you already know it, but just for the sake of the big picture, I'll give it to you. So you know that Moses is ascended to the mountain, right? And on the Mount Sinai, he's there encountering God. Like what an amazing time where he and Joshua are there. There's a cloud of glory. There's smoke. It's scary for the people. They're basically hearing God's voice at one point and say, hey, you go up there and you tell us what he says, right? And so as Moses is up there on the mountain, it says that the people are they're, they're basically impatient, right? That, that this Moses, they call him this Moses at this point, you know, this Moses who has gone up there, um, they don't know what's become of him. So what's become of him? And you have to know like context and everything that they're camped at the foot of this mountain and they can see stuff happening. They can't see him because if you were looking at the base of a mountain on the top, you wouldn't be able to make out people and stuff like that. But they can see the cloud that's there and they can hear the rumblings and whatever else that happens. 
And so some scholars would say, you know, kind of give them a break a little bit because they're not sure if, if Moses is dead up there. It's taken quite a while. They don't know what's happened. And so they're beginning to get this sense of urgency or emergency. And they come to Aaron with it and they go, hey, here's our emergency. This guy who took us out of Egypt is gone. Now make us another gods that will go before us. Isn't that interesting? Because there was, an, there was a need that they, they had in their lives that they realized, we can't do this on our own. We need a God that will go before us. And, um, and you know, the God who brought us out or whoever this Moses guy is, his God isn't working for us. Which is very interesting when you look at the whole big scheme of things of all that they had been through up until that point. But that said, he sa- they say, make us, make us a God. And, and the terminology, we'll read it in the scripture, if you have... King James, or if you have the ESV, it says up, like up, make us a God, you know? And I looked into that word up. There's this word, and it's like, it's like now, now, come on, come on, man. It's like this, this like euphemism almost, like let's do it right now. Urgency, urgency. What does Aaron do? He says, okay, give us all your gold earrings and stuff, and, and, and then he melts it down. And he doesn't just, like, as he says later, he says he just threw it all in there when he's getting called out and confronted by his brothers. He says, I just threw it in there and a, and a calf came out. You know, like, that, that happens, right? Um, he, he, he makes it, it says that he uses a graving tool. And he, he engraves and does the, the work of a skilled laborer, a skilled craftsman, and he, he creates this golden calf. And as if that weren't enough... Which, by the way, if you were with us last week and you learned about Aholiab and Bezalel, these are two that are, are anointed with the Spirit of God to do skillful crafts for the glory of God and building things in the temple. And now you have contrasted the one who's supposed to be the priest, who's not functioning under the power of the Spirit at all, but doing these skilled things and creating this golden calf. And then if that wasn't enough, he creates the calf. And, and you have, it, it takes some time to do that, I imagine. I've never really built anything out of gold before, but I imagine that takes some serious process, especially the, the making and the constructing of it into something that looks or resembles a calf. And then he presents the calf, and he doesn't just go, okay, here's, here's your God. He goes, let's make a feast to Yahweh. Have you ever caught that before? We'll, we'll read it in there. He doesn't disregard God, the true God, the one who made heaven and earth, you know, the one who's currently communicating with his brother on the mountain. He doesn't disregard him. He says, let's take the calf and let's have a feast to Yahweh together. And the people were like, yeah. And so they began this feast and, and they began to, there's a, a word that says that they began to play, right? And if you read the Bible, you know that the Bible uses euphemism. That word play is all about debauchery. That wasn't like they were doing, you know, the corn toss game and like doing the rings and whatever else they were drinking getting merry and it was getting nasty and all before this calf and supposedly in the presence of Yahweh okay so then Moses on the mountain God speaks to Moses and says hey by the way the people down there they are worshiping a calf and I'm gonna wipe them out I'm done with them they're a stiff-necked people and with that stiff-necked people, let's just get, get done done with them, and I'll make a new nation out of you, Moses. And Moses in that moment says, God, please. And he intercedes. He intercedes, and he reminds God of his faithfulness. And God at that moment relents, and he doesn't wipe them out. Moses descends the mountain with Joshua. As he's coming down the mountain, this famous quote of Joshua. He says, I hear the sound of war. Right? I hear the sound of war in the camp. 
but it's neither the sound of victory. It's not the, it's not the, like, the, the singing cries of victory or it's not the, you know, the, the weeping of defeat. It's singing and like revel rousing. It's like merriness. It's whatever is happening down there. So they descend the mountain, and Moses is not happy at that moment, right? If you've seen the, um, the Old Testament movies on TV or whatever else, that's when he comes down with all that white hair, you know, and those big um, tablets. And he breaks the tablets, right? He breaks the, the, these Ten Commandment tablets. And then he just goes crazy at this point, which I, we'll, we'll read about it. I don't know if crazy is the right word, if I've offended by saying the word crazy. I don't know. But, but, but what he does is he throws these tablets down and he goes mad, it seems. But it's, a, it's an indignation that comes up, rises up within him. And what he does is he takes that golden cap, he melts it down. And then it, when it dries, he grinds it into powder. And, and this is in the Bible, right? This is maybe some of the stuff that didn't make the top ten on your Exodus list. He grinds it, grinds it down into powder. He puts it in their water and then he makes them drink it. Did you know that? He puts it in their water and makes them drink it. And, and then, um, yeah, then he goes on and continues to uh, execute some major judgment upon the people, including loss of life and so forth. Now, um, at, at a certain point, he comes to the people and he says to them, listen, um, you have sinned greatly against God. Right? You've sinned greatly against God. And maybe he will forgive you. And I will seek to atone for your sins, which is just such an interesting thing is we know the Old Testament is pointing our way into the New Testament where we realize that there's sin, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and God sends to us Jesus to make an atonement for our sins. And now Moses is stepping in as a type of Christ and goes before God and says, hey, forgive them. God, forgive them. And if you forgive them, um, you know, we can move on. But if you don't, blot my name out. It was almost as if he was standing in the gap at that moment saying, blot my name out. And God replies and says, I will blot out who I will blot out, those who sin against me. Because, again, as Romans says, the wages of their sin is death. And then he says, and I will send a plague upon them. And he does, and he sends a plague. And so, um, as Pastor Andy said last week, he got to preach something really fun about creativity and whatever else. Now, the end of chapter 32 leaves with that. So it was good to see you guys this morning. Um, bless you. Read your Bibles and pray a lot. All right. Peace out. This is the big. This is the big picture. Now let's break it open a little bit and let's try to do our best to apply some of this uh, to our lives. Um, look with me in Exodus chapter thirty-two, starting in verse one. It says, "When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up." You know, as I said before, get up, come on, come on, man. Make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, this man, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And so Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, or in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. What was that gold meant for? Do you remember? That gold was meant for the furnishings of the temple, right? And so Aaron now... Uh, diverts to plan B because he takes on the emergency or the urgency of somebody else instead of being a good leader in that moment. And so then he says, take off the gold rings that are in your ears and and bring them. And they brought them to Aaron. Excuse me. Verse four says, um, and he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made the golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
Now, you, you might wonder why a calf. You know, a calf would have been a common um, deity, false deity that was worshipped in Egypt. Um, it, it, it seems like with every false god, they have some uh, representation of like strength and, and, and overcoming and power and stuff like that. And that was the image of the calf or a young bull is probably a better, more accurate translation. But that was why and that was what that they had done. And then it goes on and says, when Aaron saw this, um, uh, excuse me, they received the blah, 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 not blah, blah, blah. It's God's word. I apologize for that. It says, he received the gold from their hand, and they fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be the feast of the Lord. And they rose up the next day, and they offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings it's just so bizarre to me, isn't it? Like they're doing the work of, of worship, but they're bringing in idolatry and all before the presence of a holy God. And the people sat down to eat, drink, and they rose up to play. Now there's a little bit of controversy about this portion of scripture because some say, did they really break the command of God? Because obviously before they even received these commands, they had broke the first two, right? Right? And so um, Moses breaking them in front of them was not only an act of anger. It does truly seem like Moses had an anger problem, doesn't it? Like you can trace the character of people throughout the Bible and look at, at the history and what God's doing in them. Do you remember what got Moses out of Egypt the first time? Yeah, he saw something he didn't like and killed the guy. You know, and so there's this pattern of rash behavior. There's a pattern of anger. And so, so clearly Moses had that in him. God was refining him in that regard. But still, he does this thing as a ceremonial. He's also breaking, and it's kind of a prophetic thing of going, you guys already broke these. You didn't even get them yet. Now, now some could, again, say, how could, how could this loving God put these people on the hook? They didn't know any better. And you read a lot about that, actually, and you, you're like, huh, you, you know, you, the Internet's a terrible place sometimes because you're reading, like, these scholars, like, oh, yeah, maybe that is true, you know, you're pulled into it. And then you get a moment, and you think, and you pray for a moment, and go, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom on this. And it reminds me of what's the whole point of bringing them out of Egypt. Do you remember? He brings them out of this place of captivity for the sole purpose of creating a nation that will worship who? God and God alone. Do you think they knew that idolatry was wrong? Let me make it crystal clear because there was this point where God um, makes a covenant with them. And it's a beautiful covenant. And when God makes a covenant, it is a promise that lasts forever. And the covenant is that I will be your God and you will be my people. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And you're going to be this kingdom of priests. And, and, and he goes on and he says more language in the covenant. And it's in Exodus 19 and in 24. But the part that I want to draw you to is what the response of the people was. And because it's repeated several times throughout the book of Exodus. This is what it goes like. God says something, and this is what the people say. Everything you say, we will do. Man, isn't that part of human nature, right? Human nature, it's those, those key moments where... Um, the songs that we chose were just right, you know, and the vibe is just right in the sanctuary and the lighting is good and everything. You got the feels, the Holy Spirit is present. And there you are like, I see you move, you move the mountains. And if you're like really digging it, you're swaying a little bit, you know, and, and there it is. And you have these moments where you're just like, 
everything you say, I will do. And I'm not saying this in mockery. I know it couldn't sound like that. But in truth, there's been so many times, there's so many times in life where in that moment, sort of that sanctuary moment, God, everything you say, I'm going to do. And certainly for the children of Israel, repeated many times, everything you say, I'm going to do. And then God doesn't behave like you want him to. God doesn't fit the timetable that you designed. God doesn't meet your expectation or mine. And I'm saying a very big we on all of this. Can you think back over times where, um, and, and certainly I'm aware of some things that are going on right now for people, where you're, you're waiting for the promise of God, but the expectation of when and how God was supposed to do it was not met. In fact, God seems a little bit late. Can anybody be bold enough to raise their hand and say, there's been times in my life where God seems like he's been a little bit late? Yeah, thank you for your honesty. That, that there is purpose in these delays, but, but for us, if all we, all we focus on is the delay, we begin to create a new idea about who God is. We begin to erase the beliefs that we have that run so deep in us that he is faithful, that we can depend upon his promises, that he is going to do what he said he's going to do, that the sun will rise every morning, and so forth. We begin to go, what if? Because that's what false urgency does. It creates something in us that causes us to have to come up with immediate solutions. And they're not usually good ones. When we have false urgency, we're like, go, 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 go. This, I think, is a moment in, in our history of, of urgency on all levels for people um, driving so many decisions. There's a sense of urgency, and I'm not here to tell you what a false one is or a real one. I believe that the discernment of the Holy Spirit will be there for you in that regard. But what I'm saying is, I, I, I experience it in my life, I hear it from other people. There's the urgency to get out of California. There's the urgency to stay in California. There's the urgency to buy a house. There's the urgency to sell a house. There's an the urgency in just that way alone. There's an urgency in regards to our nation about leadership and lack of leadership. And there's an urgency of, and the list goes on and on. And even giving those examples, the same, um, the same experience for one person can be different for the other. That God could be so clearly saying, I want to place you in this location. And, and I, I recall this, um, our, our friends, dear friends, um, had made this decision really quickly to go to a different place. And, and, and they had sold their house for a ton of money and they'd bought a, another house somewhere else. And it was like, boom, so quick. And the first thing that came to my mind was, wait, are we supposed to be doing that? Like, it was just because it was so quick, right? And, and we're not, and we're not doing that. That's not this announcement today, by the way. <clears throat> but do you follow me? That, that as, as we begin to like read the writing on the wall and whether it's relocating or any number of things, our initial thing can go, okay, I got to take matters into my own hands. I got to stockpile. I got to figure out. There's wisdom in all of those things. But there's also the need to discern what is an urgency from God and what is a false urgency from myself. Where there's an urgency from God, there will come a plan that is governed by peace. That plan will be so clearly stated. I was talking to a friend who's a missionary, and we were going through some. Uh, he is processing through some things in this particular season. God led he and his family so clearly, so specifically, unmistakably clear. And one of the statements that he made was, it is a very difficult season that he called us into. And the season before this was pretty easy. And this one is not fun. <laughs> 
And he wasn't bailing, he wasn't leaving, but what he was saying was, I know that I'm in the will of God, and, and I know that he led me this way because it was unmistakably clear. And even though it's not fun and it's difficult, that there's peace. You see, what can happen is if we're um, like, these, like the children of Israel, if, all, if what we're aiming for is um, what we think that we need in that moment, or if what we're aiming for is, is man... It's got to be better, like it was better back in Egypt than it is camping out in this wilderness. If we place something that we think we need over what the will of God is, we will always be chasing our tail. We'll be spinning around like this, you know, like animals do. And we'll miss the true urgencies for the false urgencies. Does this make any sense? So as we, as we read through this, um, boy, I'm going to probably only get through five verses here if I keep going this way. Um, as we get through this, just the observations and some questions that we can ask ourselves. How, um, the observation is this, how one rash decision can take you so far, so fast in the opposite direction of God's will. One rash decision for a people to go, I'm not sure what's going on with Moses, so let's, let's turn to a different way and let's construct a calf. One rash decision from Aaron to appease that decision of the people. Now they are partying in the presence of God, thinking that it's okay, and it's not. Secondly, um, the importance of waiting a little while longer. Maybe some of you can also tell a story of when you didn't make a rash decision, when you didn't make a panic decision, when you didn't um, subject yourself to a sense of false urgency or somebody else's emergency, but where you sought the Lord and in the presence of God, you decided to sit still or to listen or to do something different than everybody else was doing. And, and my experience in, is so often true as I see it in my own life and I observe it with others, that these moments where we faithfully wait and we faithfully believe and we faithfully trust, and then all of a sudden we don't do it anymore and we faithfully make our own decision. And, and there's so... Um, Often the case, I believe, the deliverance is just right around the corner, right? And, and the way I believe it's true and have experienced in my life is this, that in those moments where I thought I couldn't wait any longer and then the grace of God was there believing for that promise, it's like when it comes, it comes so clearly and so um, graciously that you're like, oh, I'm so grateful that I didn't take matters into my own hands. And so for this story, I wonder what would have happened had the people waited just a little bit longer because Moses wasn't, he was close to being done. He was just about to come back down off the mountain. And it was at that, that last hour, that final moment that they decided to take matters into their own hands. And I wonder for some of us in the room right now that when we have those questions, sometimes those little temptations, those things that the devil lies to us about and says, you've been good for so long, you deserve to be a little bit bad today. You've walked in a healthy relationship for so long. I know you're curious about an unhealthy one. Go ahead and jump into it. You know, that there are so many little lies like this that we can believe, but the, the result is this, that we see it laid out so clearly in Scripture that this way forward um, is the way, the, the way forward is to take the will of God regardless of what it costs you because the other way leads you so far, so fast into something you never wanted. This is the case for the children of Israel. The far and fast for them was some deep judgment from God. In fact, it, it, for many, it, it cost them their very lives. So, some of the questions. What do we do when God doesn't meet our expectations? When there are delays in seeing his promise fulfilled or his hand at work, what do we do? Secondly, um, 
what are the differences between Aaron and Moses, right? And I want to look at this for a minute because when I began to continue to read in this, uh, I saw that this was a whole lot about leadership. There were two different, in, um, there were two different responses that Moses uh, led out of an encounter with God. Aaron led out of the fear of man. So when we're faced with urgent decisions, whether they're, we deem them as falsely urgent or truly urgent, they feel urgent, regardless of what that urgency is, there's two ways that we can lead our families through that. We can lead our friendships through that. And one way is through an encounter with God, and the other way is through the fear of man. Now let me talk to you about the both of those for just a moment. That, that the encounter with God is where we come into the presence of God, where we take the time to meet with him, to know his heart, to sit with him, to be with him, to, to, um, to allow him to lead, to submit to his will and to his plan. The fear of man is what the, pro- the proverb says, is that the fear of man does what? It brings a snare, right? And so when we're fearful in general, when we're fearful about what others think, or when we're fearful about outcomes, it's like it snares our creativity, it snares our discernment. What does a snare do? It traps you and then it slowly kind of chokes the life out of you. And so that's what happens when we operate or we make decisions based on fear. And if you contrast these two characters, these two brothers, Moses and Aaron, you'll see very clearly that one served out of encounter and the other served out of fear. Moses, although he was imperfect, led from a place of encounter with the presence of God. Aaron followed the will of the people and was resistant to God's will. It's so baffling to see it, but it's so clear of human nature. And if we're honest, we realize we do things sometimes that surprise ourselves. Moses took decisive action, right? When Moses came down the mountain, he did some stuff, man. He dealt with the idol, he dealt with the people, and he dealt with God. Aaron um, made a popular decision, right? He just did what the people wanted. Moses actively pursued God's grace and pleaded with and interceded for the people, Um, Hopefully we'll have a moment to get to that. But God relented as a result of Moses crying out on behalf of these people. Aaron uh, gave them what he wanted, what they wanted. And then he threw a confusing party and celebrated idolatry and attempted this feast uh, of God simultaneously to this craziness. Moses um, offered to suffer the consequences on behalf of the people. You know, he put himself in their position. Blot me out, God, and forgive them. Aaron made this super lame excuse that, I just threw gold in the fire and a calf came out. You know the people. You know how they are. The simple application is this. We can't make decisions based on fear. And when we feel fear creeping in, we feel the, the, just the grip of it come into our lives. And it gives us all kinds of what-ifs and we make rash decisions. Rash decisions are not often the best decision. God, give us the grace to make decisions and to be led um, through the power and the presence. And by the way, I gave those examples because it's the one that's right in front of us so often. We're saying goodbye to someone or saying hello to somebody else of relocations. Listen, there are those that make those decisions that are in no way rash decisions. That, that God literally is doing something remarkable right now, I think, in our world where he's placing people in key places. He's taking some that were here and placing them over there. Who knows what he's going to do? And so you have to leave room for that. This isn't a one-size-fits-all. Do you follow me on that? 
And so um, let's look at this, this next portion now in, in, um, in chapter 32 and verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom brought you out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. And now therefore let me alone. Um, that my wrath may burn hot against them and that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you. I read that and I, I thought of some things that we could glean about the character of God. First off, that we must never forget that God is all-knowing and that he knows our hearts. And that can either be a scary thing for you or be a comforting thing for you. That the fact that God is up here on the mountain and he's telling Moses with specificness that, um, that is specificness a word? Would that be specificity? I mean, really, I don't even know. But Moses is up on the mountain with God, and, and, and God can see and not only know, what, know what's happening with great detail, but he can also um, tell what the heart of the people are. Now, there's two ways to look at that. There's the Sunday school way that I remember. Whenever you were naughty, the, the person would say, God sees. And he's going to get you. I remember that. I can hear the, this one person saying, God's going to get you. And so it makes God kind of like the boogeyman, you know, like he can, oh, no, he saw me do that. And he's going to get me. There should be a sense of healthy fear against sin. And I get what was happening in that moment. I, 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 don't, I don't harbor bitterness, I promise. Um, but but what, what I think is another way to look at that is that God who knows everything, knows your heart, and in those moments where you can't even figure out what's going on, you're gripped by fear, you're confused, you're having these difficult times, that you can take comfort and rest that God knows your heart, that he sees past all these actions, he sees right into your heart. And as we said in this last song, he's what? A good father. The song says he's a good, good father. That's better than a good father. He's a good, good father. There's joy, there's comfort, there's hope in that. The, the fact that he knows their hearts, that he know that these people were being stiff-necked. What does stiff-necked mean? It goes back to an agricultural uh, analogy, and it's talking about when you're trying to plow the field with the oxen and you're pulling to the right, and what does the oxen do? It doesn't move, man. It's got a stiff neck. No matter how hard the guy's pulling, it won't move. It's a, it's a way of saying stubbornness. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are stubborn? You know, and, and that stubbornness is to, is, is to be submitted to God because guess what? That stubbornness can also um, bring some goodness into your life. And you're like, what? If you're able to keep your eyes on him and to be stubborn towards like any falsehoods and lies and whatever else, you know, if you have this direction that you're like, yes, I'm going forward, then praise God. But if your stubbornness is prideful and you think that you've got the way better than anybody else, or especially God, just like these guys, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create some real problems. It's something to be submitted before the Lord. The third thing that we know that God was all-knowing about the situation, he was all-knowing about the hearts, but the third thing is that he was angry. That's a tough one to come to grips with, right? That God gets angry, that God has emotions. And <clears throat> as you... Understand this about God. You can create a picture in your mind of an angry God, or you can see how God defines himself. Look at really quickly Psalm 30 in verse 5. This is an important part because even though God gets angry, he's not defined by his anger. What is he defined by? His love, right? 
Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Just a little longer. Just hang on. Just hang on when you don't see that promise coming. Just hang on when you feel like, oh, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. God isn't behaving like I want him to. My expectations aren't being met or fulfilled. Just hang on. Because whatever the emotion is that you're experiencing, it's fleeting. His anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night. Joy comes in the morning. If that wasn't enough, when, when God is... Um, is redefining himself to Moses, not redefining like a new definition, but he's giving more of a, this is who I am. He says, the Lord passed before Moses. And when Moses wanted to experience the presence of God, he says, this is how he calls himself, God does. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. All these things are important because Sometimes we can, um, we can try to put God in this small sort of box and then we get all messed up when we think, well, he's this way, but now he got mad. What do I do? And, and I think um, I had read what somebody said that was so good that we cannot talk about God on God's terms. We can only do it through our limited perspective on human terms. And God experiences emotions, but they are not like our emotions. So his anger is perfect. Ours is not. And so God has these emotions um, the, the, the third, or finally the fourth thing, and I think this is important, so please, if you can, just stick with me, because I, I think there's something for us even in this one, is the fourth thing that we learn about God is that um, after he says this thing, now therefore uh, leave me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and make a great nation for you, we read that Moses implores the Lord. Look at verse 11. Moses implored the Lord and said, O God, why does your wrath burn so hot against your people, whom you sought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did, um, did he bring them out to kill them on the mountains and consume them in the face of the earth? Um, turn your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. And remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And said to them, I promise you, I will give your offering and they will inherit this forever. In verse 14, and what does it say? And the Lord what? Relented. Come on, let's say it. And the Lord? Relented. He relented from disaster, the disaster he had spoke upon bringing to his people. Now listen, do you think God was just playing around? Do you think he was just like, hey, I'm going to mess them up. I'm just going to end them all. Just to see what Moses would do? No, I don't think so. I don't understand all of this on this cosmic level. But what is so important to understand is that your prayer makes a difference. Come on, let's think about this for a moment. What would be the result if Moses did nothing? I don't know because it's not in the book. But I have to go because he did something. They're still there. And, and we look at our situations, and the reason this is so important is because if we're not careful, we can build a, a, a version of God that is not clear and true as to who he is. We can have a fatalistic view of God. Do you know what a fatalistic view is? God already figured out everything he's going to do anyways, so why should I pray? What's going to happen is going to happen. Do you know what God I just defined? The God of Islam. Okay, because the God, the, the God of Islam is that whatever happened was predetermined. And so that is fatalistic. I can do nothing. That brings you a lot of comfort when something terrible happens. It was what his will was. The God of the Bible 
is different in the regard that he is in father child relationship with a people that he desperately loves that he has chosen to be in partnership with and man this is so powerful we're in those moments where things are so dark and difficult and we feel the anger of god upon us or we we feel the the weight of god on a situation and instead of going man that's on them that somehow in some way god puts within us this holy fire to pray fervent effectual prayers that avail much Why else would we pray if it didn't make a difference? Prayer makes a difference. Pleading makes a difference. Passion makes a difference. There are so many times when I don't feel like praying. True confessions of a pastor. I would rather do woodwork. I would rather sit on the couch and just be mindless for a moment and turn on a TV show. And sometimes I get that whisper of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that what I sense from the Holy Spirit is pray like it mattered. Pray like what, what, what you're praying is going to affect change in the one that you're praying for. Come on. This is part of the message. This is part of the message that you would rise up with hope that you have a God who can do impossible things and that prayer changes things is not a cliche that you put on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. Prayer changes things. I don't understand how it all works. I'm not eloquent enough to describe why God is angry and why he's loving. I don't know how a God who can be all-knowing and know the future can also relent. But I know this. I know what I just read. And that if Moses hadn't prayed, I gotta wonder if God would have zapped him. But he didn't. And so what does that break down for you and I? And instead of uh, distancing ourselves from the pain, instead of distancing ourselves from the hardship of others, that we jump in with passion and we go, Holy Spirit, give us what we need to pray like what we're praying you actually listen to and will affect a change because it's all over the Bible that it does. Hmm. Okay, I gotta tell you this part and then I'm gonna be done because I'm gonna run out of time. The idol how he deals with the idol. I found it so interesting. And I wondered, like, was this just Moses acting like Moses or did God tell him to go do that? I don't know, because the Bible doesn't say. But the fact that he comes down and he's ticked, he's breaking stuff and then he's taking idols and, and, <laughs> and melting them down and then grinding them into dust and putting it in water and having them drink it. Doesn't that sound strange to you? I, I wonder if anyone was like, no, I'm not gonna drink it. Like, I don't know. I don't know how it all, how it all worked. But I, I, I had to think about that for a moment, and it got me really thinking about what an idol really is. And I think that there's something for us in this. That Moses just wasn't like being mean and hoping that they got sick. By the way, you could drink gold all day long and it will do nothing to you. I actually looked this up. There is an inert chemical reaction on the human body with gold. People consume gold just to show their opulence. Like, hey, you know, you're going to go to a wedding. There's gold leaf on this. Like, you're super, super rich. Eat the gold. I'm so rich, I can eat gold. It has, it has zero uh, nutritional effect. It does nothing to you. Do you know what it does? It goes in your body, and then it does what? comes out of your body. <laughs> now, now, I thought this was so cool now. Now, for me, this is, like, cool on a whole nother level. Because Moses takes something that is supposed to have power, this calf that's supposed to be strong and mighty and lead the people. And he takes it and goes, check this out. Where's your calf? 
grind it up. Calf didn't do nothing. Like there's no adverse reaction. Drink it. Now the calf's inside of you. What's going on? Nothing. Guess what happened to the calf? <laughs> In a very shameful way. That's pretty awesome, right? And, and that is typical. Listen, that is typical Old Testament. That, that is about showdowns. It is about the true, real, holy, pure God. It's about, listen, you know, you want to do a showdown with the prophet of Baal? Hey, where's your God? The, the prophet mocks. Is your God in the bathroom right now? That's the euphemism. Come put water all over what he's going to consume. And then let the God of heaven consume this with fire. Your God's doing nothing. My God wipes it all out. That's how big your God is. And so when there is a true emergency, when there's a true urgency, if you wait on him, he will move, he will act. When there's a false one that someone puts on you or you put on yourself, you're on your own. And the result will take you so far, so fast, in a strange direction that you never thought you could ever be involved with. And we're witnessing a world that's doing it right now. Man. Paul the Apostle talks about this idea of idolatry as well. It's a big controversy in the church of can you eat food that's sacrificed to idols or not. And so as he's building his case, look with me real quick, and then we're going to wrap up, I promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, it says, Therefore, as, as to, um, this is in verse 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 4, Therefore, as to eating the food um, offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. That is, there is no God but one. And although he may be so-called um, gods in heaven or earth, there is indeed, there, um, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many quote-unquote lords. Yet, for us, there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things are and through whom we exist. That's a powerful chunk of scripture. It's a good one to, to, um, to memorize. So you already get the point um, that the power and ultimate authority of God cannot be contained. You cannot contain God's power and authority. You can't control it. It can't be created into a, 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 some sort of golden calf. Um, these things that we create ultimately can be consumed and disposed of. And that's sort of the bottom line. The way that the chapter ends is Moses confronts his brother. His brother gives a nonsense answer to a very clear question. And, um, and the, the wrath of God is executed upon the people of Israel in a very Old Testament sort of way. There's an implication. There's power to these ideas. These ideas have consequences. And I think that's our, our takeaway for today. That we learn a lot about God. We learn a lot about leadership. And we learn a lot about human nature. And so my prayer for you today um, is this, um, that we're not constrained by our time or our will, but that we encounter our time with God on his timetable. Okay, does that make sense? We're not constrained by our time, meaning we're not, we're not leaning into our personal um, emergencies or urgencies, but we are um, allowing God's timetable to reveal to us God's truths. That, to, um, that we're not impatient um, and our impatience does not cloud our good judgment. Three, that we're learning that conforming to the will of the people over God's will will lead to painful destruction. Fourth, that um, we learn that God has emotions that can be described imperfectly 
in human terms, such as his anger, his relenting, but he describes himself as gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. I'm going to give you this last and final thought because I felt like the Lord put it in my heart just as we, we began that if you're looking at these ideas of um, false urgencies, there's also this other kind of urgencies that are throughout Scripture. Um, 86 times in the New Testament, there's this word called kairos. Everyone want to say kairos? Um, I, I wrote down this definition of kairos because I thought it was so good that there's two words, there's more than two words in the Greek language for time. There's chronos, which is like what you're going, is he going to keep going right now because it's 1120? That's chronos. Kairos is about a moment in time, right? Um, it, it's when, um, when t- a time when conditions are right to accomplish a crucial action, okay? Kairos means a time when conditions are right to accomplish crucial action. So a false urgency is our Kronos timetable going, oh, man, it's too late. Oh, I didn't sell my house. I didn't buy my house. I didn't take that job. I didn't leave that job. I didn't do fill in the blank. That's Kronos. Kairos is this thing that's in us that regardless of the circumstances, the window is open, and this is the time to go. It's go time, and God is with you in it. And I'm sure if you look through your lives, you can, you can know those Kronos types decisions where you were making it on your timetable time and those Kairos ones. I can remember sitting right here in, in a time when we had been praying, and, and I remember God speaking something about our renovation. And, and we didn't, I mean, that was like, it was a big deal, you know. It, it, we didn't have the money. Um, it wasn't that we had no money, but God was faithful in the provision for it, and uh, it was a lot of work, and the six months took a couple years, and you were here for the whole thing. But the reason we jumped through that window is as a leadership, we gathered together and go, yes, he is saying something. It isn't about the time. It's about the window that he's opening. And you look back after those Kairos moments and I go, God, thank you so much that we made that decision before uh, 2020 and before, I mean, we thought there were some crazy enough restrictions from California on stuff that we had to do. But if I look at where we would be now versus where we were then, see, that's what's the cool part about making those decisions that God leads you in is you can sit back and go, wow, God, look at your faithfulness in my life. And if he was faithful all the way through, he's going to be faithful into the future. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and I'll stop. You guys can um, get on your way. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I thank you that your word is exciting. I thank you that your word is detailed. Your word gives us so many things to think about, especially in in the moment that we're in now. Lord, there are opportunities and there's urgencies. Lord, help us to see what Kairos opportunities where this is a moment where, where you are, are, um, are moving and we ought to move with you versus a sense of urgency that if I don't do it, something bad's going to happen. Help us to discern and not be impatient people, but to be people who live out of encounter with God. That as we encounter you on the mountain, we encounter your heart, Lord. And we know the way to walk and we walk in it. Lord, thank you for the example that we read in scripture about um, those decisions that can be made that take us so far in the wrong direction. Lord, if, if we're in the middle of one of those right now, we just avail ourselves before you. God, we open our hearts to you, and we thank you that it's not too late. God, we thank you for the hope of a God who is gracious and compassionate, that even while we were sinners, you died for us. That means that while we're in the middle of a bad decision, that we can approach you and say, God, I'm so sorry. I realize I'm walking in fear, not faith. I realize that I'm heading in the wrong direction. I I submit myself to you, God. I thank you that repentance looks like turning from that 
and heading in a direction towards you. Lord, free your people in that regard. If there's something specific, bring it to their attention. But I pray you would protect them from condemnation and guilt. That gets us nowhere. You died for that stuff, God, and I thank you for it. Relieve your people and release us from that fear of man that brings a snare, that gives us an inability to make decisions. God, I pray clarity over your people as decisions need to be made on a daily basis for life. God, they would be made out of peace. They would be made out of that Kairos opportunity moment. They would be made out of encounter with you. So I bless them, and I thank you for each one in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. It's an hour.